Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Excited to have Ryan Shalaba with us today. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good, RJ. Good to see you again. Absolutely. Ryan, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing. Uh, Ryan Shalaba, out here in Pittsburgh, PA. Um, run with my partner, Urban Capital Group. We're one of the top buy, fix, and flip companies um, out here. We do about 30 houses a year, um, but uh, just having fun. How long have you guys been in business? Uh, myself, I've been in real estate since 2012 when I got my license, uh, started investing in 2013, uh, didn't meet my partner Arch until May of 2015, and that's where Urban Capital came together and really took off. Uh, Arch has been in the game since 2006, uh, so a little bit more experience um, than me, but uh, he's mostly on the construction side. I came from a you know acquisition financing background basically a wholesaling background so when we linked up in 2015 we kind of had both sides of the uh, the puzzle there and put it together and it it uh made for a good you know good few years so you had a background in wholesaling and now urban capital y'all focus on rehabs how did y'all come up with that business model well what happened is, is in Pittsburgh, since we have um, a little bit lower of a price point where our landlords like to be, uh, we found that our landlords really like to be in that $50,000 all-in uh, price point on their rental properties. It doesn't leave a lot of margin for us as wholesalers. We're averaging three dollars to $4,000 a door. And when you look at cost per acquisition, sometimes being up to $4,000, you're kind of treading water as a wholesaler looking for you know those bigger margins um, and the rehabbers out here same thing the price points are, are a little bit lower so um, as a wholesaler you you have a hard time hitting those home runs per se which a home run here is 10 grand <laughs> and uh, so realizing that um, and then once once arch came into play it really changed everything because I didn't have the construction background. I was having contractor problems, uh, and he was having problems finding uh, enough deals to to really, you know, run as many flips as we're doing now. So we just started focusing on putting that piece of the puzzle together, uh, getting a solid construction process in place, because we could make a lot more money uh, rehabbing them if we knew how to find them than just uh, wholesaling them out. So you say the landlords there, they look for average purchase price at $50,000 or all in for $50,000. That would be turnkeyed out, yeah, at $50,000. Right. What does it look like for a rehabber? For rehabbers, we're, our median price points, 125 to 130 So we're buying at 60 to 65 putting in 20 to 25 and reselling in the 135 to 140 range. So we're averaging 25 to 30 um, per flip versus, you know, three to $4,000 to wholesale out that same deal. 
Gotcha. And do you see your cost of acquisition still being the same as when you were wholesaling, or is it lower now that you're rehabbing? It's gone down drastically. Um, just in the last quarter, our cost per buy was about twelve hundred dollars, um, and that wasn't. Those weren't even on you know thirty thousand dollar flips. Those are about half of those were six figure flips. So the ROI is just ridiculous. Um, the way that our, our market is set up because it's kind of odd. So we've got, we've got one side of the business, which is those 60, 30, 135s. Um, that, that's our bread and butter. We make, you know, 25 grand off those a piece and, and we try to do those like clockwork. Then the other side of our business is we're buying complete gut jobs in the inner city where we're seeing a lot of transition. And we're buying those for 100, 150, uh, putting in 150, and then reselling those for over 400,000, sometimes $500,000. And um, so we've really segmented our business into two niches. And now we just, we try to stay in our, in our lane um, from that perspective. Uh, I love that phrase, staying in your lane. We use that within my company. Um, within you know acquisitions, dispositions, if you're a manager or, or whatever it is, we use that phrase a lot. What do you think has caused the the decrease in the cost per acquisition? Do you think it's because of word of mouth, referrals, better marketing? What's caused the the, the dip in cost of acquisition? Well, I think for for one, our 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 actual marketing costs are are low. Um, if I send 10,000 postcards out, it's costing me $3,700. I'm at, I'm at 37 cents a postcard. Um, I'm at 66 cents for yellow letters. So just our overall cost is very low. Um, but then coupling that with a great follow-up system so that we can convert more leads uh, when those people call in. Uh, so just from a basic numbers perspective of mail going out, calls coming in, our conversions are really high. Um, but from an overall brand perspective, I think that we're getting a lot better at basically follow-up marketing. So I, I look at it as there's primary marketing, which happens before you buy the house, and then there's the secondary marketing, all of those behind-the-scenes things that you do uh, to let people know that you sell or you buy and sell houses. So, you know, the door hangers, the knocking on doors, the, the littering your front yard with bandit signs or, or banners, things like that, um, that don't cost you a lot of money. Um, and then we focus a lot on agents, too. Um, all of our relationships are really, really good and really, really, you know, nurtured. Um, so when it comes to we buy probably half the amount of half the amount of houses we do a year on direct mail, and then the other half um, from agents, MLS, and just you know that secondary marketing or word of mouth, which really drives your overall cost. It kind of skews your cost, if you will. Um, so let's down. talk about marketing a little bit. You say direct mail. How often are you touching those potential motivated sellers with direct mail? Uh, every single month, um, we found that it didn't matter. Found this out you know, three years ago that it didn't matter how much mail I was sending out. Just the more consistently I sent it out, the better results I got. Um, when I first started out, I was 
mailing every single week, but I was only sending out 70 to 100 letters a week. So the scale of the marketing wasn't uh, very high, but it still consistently brought me wholesale deals. Now we, we still mail every single week, but we're up to 2,500, and that's starting this month. Um, I, I just ordered for the first time my full $10,000, or sorry, 10,000 mailers per month um, starting next week, whereas we, we got all the systems in place for to handle 5,000, and we're very comfortable with it. So we said, okay, we need to uh, pour gas on that uh, fire there, and, uh, and so that's, that's where we're at now. But it's, it's every single week, every single month, we're hitting these lists. So are you hitting the same list every month, or are you going in and are you skimming names off of it, or are you just hitting the same list over and over and over again? Um, I mean, we're hitting the same lists over and over and over again. If we didn't, if we didn't buy the house yet, then there's still a chance to, to buy that house. Um, so we just hit it over and over and over, and um, you know, we, we get a lot of angry calls that way. <laughs> right. But... Um, but just because they don't want to sell right now doesn't mean that they, uh, you know, they don't want to. They're not going to end up having to sell or wanting to sell in the future. So we want to be there when they're ready. So what you've seen has really increased your ability to produce is consistency with the marketing and just continuing to hit the same list over and over and over again. You're not trying different lists each month and and different types of marketing. You're it's all about consistency. Yes. And, and the way that – so what, here's something that's really interesting, and, and I don't, people don't really talk about this a lot. Um, we actually found that – so we did a seller profile on just the last 30 houses that we bought, and we found that we only bought two houses from people that basically begged us to buy their house. That would be considered extremely motivated, and that was really, really interesting because – all you hear is motivated sellers, motivated sellers. We actually found that we do most of our business with reasonable and halfway sophisticated people. Um, so it wasn't that we were buying houses in, where the people were in terrible situations. In Pittsburgh, they call it just want to be done. Um, whether they pass it on to family members, they got it trashed, whether a tenant was in it and they trashed it, they're just, they're just done with the house. Um, so, we started targeting the demographic of person that we were buying from and the type of house that we wanted to buy. That's what's really important about us staying in our lane is we want to buy a specific type of house in specific neighborhoods. And so we target that. We don't care what the situation is. Uh, we're going after the house or the demographic that lives there, if, if, that, if that makes sense. And that, as long as we hit that consistently, then we'll consistently hit our numbers. Um, but it was a, it was really, really crazy whenever we looked at that because all we've heard since we ever started was you got to target motivated sellers. Right. One of the things that stood out to me when you and I were talking about the Pittsburgh market was both you and Arch were talking about how level of a market it is. It didn't really dip or it doesn't have the ebb and flow of, say, some of the other markets, so that seller knowledge that you have now is invaluable because now you understand like you said 
they're just done with it. It's not necessarily an extreme motivation that maybe you see in other markets. Yeah. I mean, here, here's a great situation. Last night, I go to a house, 5 o'clock. Guy called me Sunday night. I go to the house. It's worth 105 um, all day long on the back end. He says his, his, uh, his son moved in, trashed a place, you know, got, got himself in a bad situation, and now he's literally just done with it. So that, that's why I said, hey, give me a sec. I'm on the other line. Uh, we just, we're going to pick it up for 37. Right. Um, and he just is nicest guy in the world, um, well-educated, normal person, um, not – you would call – I guess you would place him in a, in a motivated category, but I, I just – I place him as a reasonable guy that just wants to get out of the situation he's in. Um, right. So it's, it's funny. So let's transition a little bit outside of marketing and the acquisition side of things, and let's go into for people that are rehabbers or want to flip houses – how did you scale the business up to where you could flip 30 houses and how do y'all maintain contractors or manage the contractors? Because I think that is such a huge issue for people that get into this industry is they don't realize that there, it takes a lot of work to manage the contractors that you hire. So we uh, we realized we were getting the, the you know the flipping rehabbing business and we were going to have to manage contractors so we uh we started a daycare center actually <laughs> um <laughs> no i'm kidding we we do uh we do always joke around um because sometimes it really is like like running a daycare center um but it's it's just putting a system and a process in place so we said, this is the type of house we're going to do, and this is what we're going to do to it. These are the materials we're going to use, and this is the way that it's going to get done. And we're going to do that every single time. And so when we put the actual process of how we were going to flip the houses in place, now you just you have people that you have to manage. And um, it's, it started out as a mess. It still is considered a mess. Um, and I think it always will be, um, because if ever if if managing you know construction was easy, everyone would be in the flipping business. So the biggest thing that we tried to do was put uh, the system for how we were going to complete these jobs in place, so that it'd be much easier to cycle people through. We have a lot more posture whenever we uh, work with contractors. We say, hey, this is our system. Would you like to make money in it? Um, and so that, that really helps out, but it's still a numbers game. Everything in the business is, is a numbers game as, as you're scaling up. And so we're finding now that, uh, and, and really we just started looking at this, but I mean, it, it we treat it just like a house. Now you, you got to talk to a hundred contractors, meet 10 or 15 of them and ultimately hire one. <laughs> um, and then you're constantly cycling through it. So, um, we have a, core group. So we, we, we started a construction company and decided to take that on. So we have two in-house crews. Uh, and then we probably manage 10 to 15 subs at any given time across the jobs for what, what we like to say is, uh, 15 feet above the ground or, or underground. Um, our guy, our own guys can't go. So we sub those things out. Um, but that that's been a little bit easier for us. Uh, made things a little bit easier for us managing it that way. 
so the more rehabbers that I talk to that are successful long term, all they really want to talk about is the systems that they've put into place. That's what breeds the success. It's not necessarily acquiring at the right price or the marketing or having the right contractor. Yeah, all those things are important, but really it's about the systems that you have in place to manage the actual rehab itself. So is is Arch involved in that or is that something on your plate or, or what systems have y'all put into place to really manage those contractors and inside the rehab itself? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's very much Arch and uh, our project manager, Bill. Um, I get to kind of see it from the outside and which, which helps with, you know, overall management. Um, so basically what we've done is we've got pre-construction checklists. These are all, these are the things that need to happen before the job starts. Um, you know, you've got your schedule, your budget, uh, and your selection sheet, and then all of your scopes. So you put all those things in place, and now you just have to plug people in, um, you know, to your schedule. And we use a tool called CoConstruct now. Uh, it's a project management software, and it has been an absolute game changer. But that's you know, we were managing everything off of spreadsheets and a big whiteboard uh, in the office, and now the, the software has made things a little bit more mobile. Um, and, and just a little bit easier to have everything in one place versus using, you know, Gmail, Dropbox, Google Sheets, spreadsheets, whiteboard, text. You know, right. the, the software brought it all into one place. Um, I think it's I think it's important to realize though for people that want to get started, it's okay to start with the whiteboard and the spreadsheets. <laughs> Right. I mean, like, don't don't come in and on your first flip want to have all this software already. set yeah. up, Right. Like, right. It, no. It's OK to bust into the game as long as you have some kind of system and you hold true to what that system is and you learn through your experiences. Right. I mean, how how long did it take before you guys got to this where you are now systems wise? I mean, it took it took a year and a half of working in the business, building up enough capital to then create time to work on the business. And once you start putting systems in place, then you can put people in place and then you can really explode. But I mean, it's been years, um, only a year and a half since we've been together, but I mean, you know, we've both been in the game for a long, long time. My suggestion, if you're going to start out and you're going to do your first rehab, there's a few things that you definitely need in place. You want to have a tentative schedule. You want to have a tentative budget. And then you just want to have a basic scope of work. Ours are now very detailed. Um, but if you have an overall basic scope of work that points your contractor in the direction that you want to go, it's a lot better and easier to hold them accountable than walking through a house like, like most people do their first time and just pointing out to the contractor that this is what they want done. Um, you know, for like, for example, if you tell a contractor, I, I want a new kitchen, well, that could be $6,000 or that could be $40,000. Um, but if you say, I would like you to install a kitchen that has these cabinets, these countertops, this hardware, and these appliances, and you know the cost of those materials roughly, uh, you're not going to get duped on a labor bid. Uh, so you can control your costs a lot better. But definitely those things... Um, 
that, that you should have in place uh, just to start, and that will put you leaps and bounds ahead of anyone getting into the game um, You know, when they go to do their first flip. Right. So you say you have a project manager. Is the project manager in charge of getting the bids during your due diligence period, or is that on the acquisitions person? How do you all handle that? Um, so I'm still in acquisitions. I'm working on transitioning out of that right now. Um, and so our guys, uh, like Arch and Bill, they don't actually – they go into the house about a week before we buy it because I'm, I'm pretty dialed in on, on construction um, costs overall um, as to like setting our budgets and stuff. So those guys don't have to double-check um, you know, me. Now, once we put this acquisitions person in place, we absolutely will be, have some kind of a checks and balance system, but, um, we're so dialed in on costs now at this point that, that we, we get the property and, and we buy it and then we, uh, you know, really kind of drop it into our construction process. And again, that, that goes back to understanding your market and understanding your business. I think what helps you a lot is the fact that you're dialed in on really two types of flips, right? You have right. Your, your inner city, your big ones, those are, those are the big home runs, and then you have your, your singles, right, where mm -hmm. you're going out and you're making the twenty to 25000 I right. think that also helps where you're not across the board diversified where you'll just flip anything inside you know your market. You're very specific to what you're trying to acquire yeah and we we used to not be that way and then it's funny because how like we don't we don't buy houses that are in that two to three hundred thousand um, dollar like arv price point simply because those are like the same houses that we would do in the four or five hundred thousand dollar range but there's no way we have the budget to gut them. <laughs> and so it causes us all of our problems in our business. Anytime that we have strayed away from the ranches, Cape Cods, and split-level houses or the big gut jobs is where we've either broke even or lost a little bit of money. Um, it's funny how that works out, right? It's like you're, <laughs> it's like you're just reconfirming like, okay, I made that plan for a reason. I don't know why I didn't stick to it, but yep. lesson learned. Now we'll go back to the game plan. So let's talk about how are you financing these these projects? Is it hard money, private money, cash? How are you guys financing them? Um, now it's all now it's all private money. It started off as hard money. My my first um, hard money loan was fifteen percent and four points. Um, yeah, I know it was up there. But uh, I, I knew that there was a relationship attached to it, and my deal could afford it. It was, it was a smoking deal. Uh, I could afford the 15% and four points, and then the 15% and three and two and one that that relationship led to. Um, so I, I paid a lot of money to prove myself um, because, you know, realistically, this Chris, he was the only person to take a chance on me um, at that time. But the nice part is he was able to look at the deals and feel confident enough that even if I totally blew it, he could take back the property and still make some money. But it ended up, you know, it ended up working out in the long run, um, you know, just from that perspective of now with him, um, you know, we're at we're at 15 percent and then uh, a point uh, if we need to be. Um, but there's unlimited funding there. So 
when we analyze our properties, we analyze it worst case scenario using Chris's money at 15 and 1. Um, but pretty much, I mean, the, the majority of our money right now is at 12%. Just, you know, private money, everyday individuals that have, you know, a hundred to $500,000 um, sitting around, they'd like to earn, you know, double digits on versus single digits uh, with a reputable company that actually cares um, <laughs> uh, about them making money just as much as us making money. And that's that's how we've raised a, you know, the majority of our funds now at this point. So for someone who's listening to this and says, man, that sounds great. I wish I, I knew someone with $500,000 that would love to increase it. What are the what are some of the ways that you have recognized people that have that kind of money and, and how have you approached that conversation and said, hey, why don't you come over and, and work with the urban capital? So I think that we've – here's a, one of the best ways that um, – and we've been able to – we actually uh, – we picked this up from, from somebody else, being able to go into uh, our title companies and our attorneys have given us amazing relationships people that are, you know, unhappy with where they are or who they're lending to and wanting to hop over and have a better experience. And then our attorneys and our title guys become cheerleaders for us. So that has been a really, really great kind of like ninja secret for us. Um, but other than that, it goes back to creating that avatar um, for you know, okay, who, what's the type of what, what's the type of job that a person with five hundred thousand dollars in their IRA would have? For Pittsburgh, it's probably you know either working with somewhere in technology or in the banks or an entrepreneur. Okay, well, where would those people hang out? And then you kind of you you work that process down, and then you put yourself in those positions to, in that place to meet those people. And to start talking with those people, and, and you, you have to be committed to the long term, um, to actually building a relationship with these people, not uh, just going and, and putting their money to work for you. Uh, it has to be a win-win. So when we started hanging around these people, we uh, we never even brought up private money for the first six to eight months we knew them. We. You know, we let our Facebook posts and and the way we kind of subliminally market to them catch their attention to where finally when they say, hey, why didn't you ever ask me for <laughs> for my money? We say, oh, we didn't know you had any, <laughs> um, that you would be willing to invest or that you'd be looking to invest and get a better return on. But we can definitely show you how if you're interested. So um, it's just putting yourself in that in that position to meet those people. Uh, and then, you know, creating a relationship with them is what we found worked best. Right. And I'll second that, what you were talking about with the title company. I've done the same thing where the title company, after closing, after closing, after closing, and then they start finding out, oh, mm -hmm. you're using private money, and then they've introduced me to other private money lenders where they're like, hey, I was just on the phone with one the other day, and he's not <laughs> happy with who he's working with or you know, why don't you call this person? They're always looking for opportunities. So it's amazing where sometimes, you know, you, if you don't think about it because you're just so used to talking to your title company about closings and things like that. One of the things that I was told when I first got into this business was 
the answers always know until you ask. And, <laughs> and I never yep. really thought about that. And it's like, yeah, you're right. And so there's been plenty of times where, you know, I've just asked somebody after building, like you said, not not on the first date, right? But right. after six or eight months of them knowing, and then sometimes they'll let you know if they're always asking, how's work going? What happens mm-hmm. are you flipping now? How much money did you make on that deal? Sometimes <laughs> I've just come out and been like, man, you really seem interested. Would you be interested in investing with us? And anytime we've done that, we've seen great success. So it's interesting that you've had the the same circumstances happen to you well it's so, funny it's funny too i'm i'm like i'm always like thinking of how can i kind of subliminally market to somebody so what i do every month um and this this can help people out once they start paying interest because you can do it on a smaller scale or a larger scale it doesn't matter it works um every month that i'm writing checks to my lenders i i take a picture of all of the checks Sometimes it's ten, twelve. Uh, last month I think it was like twenty-two thousand dollars that we paid out in interest, and uh, I basically just say, you know, why am I not writing you a check this month? Uh, <laughs> why are you not? Why are you not picking up one of these checks at your mailbox that you didn't even have to think about last month? And so I put those messages out there um, in in kind of a blank way, and I tell you what, I'm raising a lot of money on Facebook right now. <laughs> um, I just love that with people that are in our network, but you know, never really knew that they could, you know, actually uh, lend this way in a secu- you know, in a secured, not guaranteed, but secured way. Um, it's crazy. It, so just that little tactic there has raised a lot of money uh, in the last few months. Don't give me too hard of a time when you see that Facebook post. <laughs> on, on October 1st. I okay. stole yours. I stole yours. It's all good. <laughs> I swiped it. I swiped it. That's what we said. <laughs> did you end up getting a, a closing off that lead? I, did, I didn't get a closing off of it, but um, I, I passed it off to my guy that, that does wholesale uh, with us. Um, so I, I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get a nice little referral check in a month. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So... You know, for the people that are listening, they don't know how old you are. How old are you? 24. 24. So you're a relatively young guy. You have everything. Seems like you're you're on the right track. I, I admire you guys. I was blown away by y'all's business um, when I got to spend some time with you and, and learn about what you're doing. I always end these interviews by asking people what is their why, and I'm really curious to hear what your why mm-hmm. is being 24 years old most 24 year olds are still out there trying to figure out what they want to do with their life so what is your why and and why do you why have you built this business and structured it the way you have at such a young age well um in california i told you guys a story about my dad um with u.s airways uh going through two bankruptcies uh, and losing everything uh what i didn't tell you guys was that in 2013 we started out our real estate investing venture together and six months in I lost him in a motorcycle accident and um, I actually haven't talked about this in quite a while but um, so a little emotional but um, that changed everything man I, I had a I had a fire lit under my ass before that just to pay him back for investing you know everything into my dream and then um you know, just having lost him 
kind of before we really it was at the turning point of success but never really got to see it blow up and so every day man i I wake up and i'm just like i gotta build the biggest building in town um you know and and just put our name on it because that's that's what he would have wanted and um so i mean that's that's the first part of my why my second part is just a lifestyle by design um i there's i love to travel i i love the freedom of you know financial security um and you know i don't want to be tied down by money and i see money as a vehicle to uh to keep playing the game I, i love the game and then third is a legacy um I have big a big dream, a big vision of of teaching thousands and thousands of people how to become financially secure and that it's not that hard. You know, you can buy two rental properties a year um, that cash flow three hundred dollars a month and in five years you cover seventy five to eighty percent of your living expenses and you're probably sitting on a quarter million dollars in equity in five years. You do that for 20 years, you know, you're free. You're, you're secure in five, you're free in 20, um, beyond free. And so being able to pass that message on and leave a legacy to not only uh, people, but, um, but to my family and, you know, and my kids eventually, that's, that's really my, uh, why I do all this. Well, man, there's so much I want to say in response to that. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll share with you and, and for everyone listening, I started my own company in 2012 and, and I also lost my dad in, hmm. in 2012. Um, one of the last times I ever saw my dad before he passed away, um, I, I went to my mom and dad's house and I was so excited because they are entrepreneurs and, and I got to tell them I'm, I'm starting my own company. And I'll never forget seeing my dad tear up because he was, <laughs> he was so proud of me. And that was that was probably, I think, the next to the last time I ever saw him alive. And, you know, also in 2012, I had my son. And and I also had a niece who was diagnosed with, with pediatric cancer. And I, for me, 2012 was one hell of a year um, starting my own company, losing my dad, having a son, having a niece with childhood cancer. But those kind of things have, are always the fuel behind my fire. Um, because like you said, you know, I, I got to see how excited my dad was and, and what that meant to him that um, I was following in his footsteps as an entrepreneur. So, I definitely relate to that. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. That's, yeah, and it's amazing. And and my mom later on helped me get started in in real estate. She actually bought my first flip with cash. Wow. And and she allowed me to flip it. And and so there's a lot of a lot of similarities to our stories there. Um, in regards to our why, and I think that's so important, and and I I made that such a huge part of of this of my podcast because 
I think it's very important for people to understand that it's not about going out and doing real estate investing because right now in 2017, it's the sexy thing to do (laughs) and that everybody wants to get into it because they see it on TV and HGTV and, oh, man, you know, everybody's flipping houses and making tons of money because it's not always going to be that way. It's more about having your why, your passion behind you. For me, I, I didn't start into real estate investing. I started, I had two businesses before real estate. Now I found my passion within real estate and, and it makes me extremely um, happy that I know that I am uh, following in my, my dad's footsteps and my mom's footsteps of being an entrepreneur. So I appreciate you sharing that. I, yeah. I know sometimes that's difficult to, <laughs> to talk is. about. It is, you know, when you don't, when you don't talk about it for a while and you, you kind of bury all that and just, and just work, you know, you, you work. And it's funny too that, um, I, you know, I, I'm a full disclosure guy. I, I don't think that real estate itself is my passion. Um, I think that the overall building of a business, playing the game, realizing the security that can come from real estate. And it's, I mean, it makes logical sense, right? You know, you got, you've got emotional thoughts and, and the reason why you do things. And then there's logical, um, real estate makes complete logical sense. And if you do love it, man, you can, you can absolutely kill it. Um, I just, I happen to have the emotional passion of building businesses, even though this is my, my first business, I found that, um, my first true business, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, I found my passion in that, um, and then using real estate as a vehicle. But we, we definitely, um, like we don't know where, where we want to go. Um, we want to get, you know, secure and build a long-term stream of income. Um, but definitely we might find passion in, in another type of business. You know, I say that passion project. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to kind of see what direction we, we almost, you, you kind of get pointed in, I would say, um, you know, over the next few years as we continue to build. But, um, well, Ryan, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and and share all of this, and and I will tell you, man, you are you're an inspiration to me. Um, being as young as you are, I wish I had started my business at at your age, and and I appreciate everything that you've shared with us today, and uh, I I hope I wish both you and Arch the best. Um, for everyone who's listening, if they want to reach out and contact you, what's the best way they can contact you? Um, Facebook's definitely the, the best way. Um, right now, just go to facebook.com slash urban investor. Um, you could also find us on Facebook at Urban Capital Group um, LLC. That's where that account is. Once you add me up on there, um, we, we can definitely chat. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm open to helping people out. I love hearing people's stories and uh uh, I want to say thank you for having me on because uh, it, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to talk about the business and it kind of helps you step out and really take a few minutes to go, wow, man, we have, we have been working pretty hard. <laughs> um, absolutely. And so I, I absolutely appreciate you, know, you having, having me on and, and our future relationship too after meeting in California. I'm very excited for that. And uh, yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.